You are tuned into Black Women Speak with Colette Williams and Dr. William Tyardy Howard on the Black Talk Radio Network. And good afternoon, good afternoon. This is Vision Media Group, and thank you for joining us. This is a wonderful afternoon to welcome a, an esteemed panel. I would first like to introduce a gentleman that is going to bring us into this distinguished panel and this wonderful discussion about media, money, and the future. Money, media, and the future. It is my pleasure to welcome you to Vision Media Group, Black Talk Radio Network, and you are going to enjoy this dialogue, this conversation. It is to encourage, it is to edify, it is to educate, and at some point it is also to entertain. So without further ado, thank you all for joining us. Let's get started with Reverend Dr. Anthony McFarland. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today giving you all the praise, glory, and honor. We thank you for this platform, this media company, Dear Heavenly Father. And as we come to you today, we ask you for guidance, wisdom, divine impartation, and support as we begin this meeting. Uh, help us engage in meaningful discussion. I thank you that each speaker, each individual on this platform uh, has a wealth of knowledge and it will help us grow, grow closer as a people, as a group, as we nurture the bonds of our community and assist in the advancement of our people. So we thank you and praise you for a healthy, productive uh, meeting today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Amen and amen. So we are going to get started. We've got a fun-filled, educationally-filled afternoon with lots and lots of dialogue. We've got experts, we've got people on this panel who, as I said, are going to enlighten us, educate us, edify us as we do our very best, as we put forth the effort, put forth all of our time and energy to change the narrative. That has been a constant conversation for quite some time. And it's time that we not only talk about it, but we be about it. It's time for us to produce. And right now we've got a panel of producers on this show and we're going to get started because they're the experts and they're going to disseminate information that we can all use. So without further ado, let me get my co-host, my moderator, who I have a great affection for, Dr. William Tayati Howard, who is a young man that has been in radio for more than 50 years. I have a great deal of respect for him because he is Mr. Radio up and down California and across the country. Dr. Howard, yes. I'm so glad you're with us. Well, I am equally blessed and humbled as I look around the room here to these panelists and I see these entrepreneurs, icons and media luminaries and i say wow my mother and father will be proud of me and my legacy to see such the halo 
around this room and the distinct uh, academia and acumen that you bring to this panel, we are quite fortunate to be able to speak with you and kind of tap some knowledge. Uh, several of the people I see in the room, I bought books and, and followed and tried to build some success in my own race as, as I watched them. And I said, uh, when, when, when Ms. Williams called upon me, I says, well, I'm gonna have to go buy myself a new baseball hat with a new, a new promo on the top of it. Uh, to be lined up with these ladies and gentlemen. But thank you very much for the invite. I'm honored and humbled. Uh, 50 years in broadcasting and radio and television in the San Diego, Los Angeles uh, market has been uh, quite a feat. I give God the honor, the glory, and the praise. So thank you very much for allowing me to be a moderator. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Wouldn't have it any other way. So let's get started. Reverend Dr. Anthony McFarland is going to be with us, and I'm so glad that he is. I'm so glad, and I've got to say this. I've known Dr. McFarland for about 30 years, wow. and I have asked him, even at the very nth hour, to join us for something, and he always does. He never turns me down. I am so grateful. I am eternally grateful. I'm so grateful, so happy. Thank you very much for Dr. McFarland, you join us at every turn. I really appreciate it. And I might add, I've known Dr. Frazier for a little while. He is a author. He is an expert. He's an activist. He's an entrepreneur. There isn't anything that he isn't. And I have asked Dr. Frazier to join us more times than I can count. Dr. Frazier never turns me down. He always, always, always comes to the party. And he is an expert. I never get enough of what he has to say. Never. He joins us here today, Dr. George Frazier. It's an honor and a privilege for you to be with us. My honor. My and I got my wonderful, my absolutely gorgeous, wonderful, bright mogul up here, my daughter, Benicia Poole Watson. I'll have to take the Watson out and put Williams in there. But she is a daughter of mine. She mm. is a real estate mogul. She is absolutely the one to watch. She's got so many things coming up. I am so proud of her. She's actually the same age as my daughter. I'm asking my daughter to rub shoulders with her. Oh, my God. When you hear this lady speak, you will be mesmerized. Benicia Poole Watson is the founder and owner of Prime One Home Loans. Prime One Lending Group and the Bailey Watson Real Estate Group. I hope I got it right, Benicia. I got it right. <laughs> Very good. And she is based in Dallas, the big D. She's based in Dallas. She is a, a transplant from LA and she's done wonderful things. She's got offices in 49 states. She has a plethora of individuals who work with her, her employees. She is licensed to do wonderful things in the mortgage and real estate arena. She's also, is it okay if I say you're going to be in banking? You can spill it. <laughs> banking, she is going to be a banker. That's where we're going to deposit what we have into her bank. So this is a great opportunity to have you experts, you 
skillful people, talented people, wonderful people on this panel with us. So let's get started. Let's get started. We're going to ask Dr. Howard and I will present the questions to you. We're still waiting for Danny Glover to join us, and I'm sure that he will. Uh, he does travel a lot. He is an Academy Award winning actor, and he too, thank God, thank God. He it always shows up. I'm not sure where he is now. He could be in the air somewhere, but he does show up whenever I ask him to. So I still expect him to join us this afternoon. As I said, the questions will be presented by Dr. Howard and I, and each of you will get two minutes to answer the questions. And the questions are nothing that you can uh, write home about and say you didn't understand the question. If you don't understand the question, that's our fault. We're going to make it really, really simple for you to ask, answer the questions. They're not easy questions, but you are, you're well equipped to answer. So Dr. Howard, would you like to pose the first question? Well, I flipped the coin and I had to tap Dr. Frazier first. Um, not because I'm slightly biased of all the great books that he's written, but because I was interested in the now, the N-O-W, and what he sees in his little, uh, shall we say, uh, uh, ball into the future. <laughs> so if you, if you can hear me okay, I'm going to drop this question. Okay. What, what would you say, Dr. Frazier, is the best practices for making a clear distinction between money matters today and tomorrow. Uh, let us pray. <laughs> let us pray that money matters tomorrow will be quantumly different amongst our people than money matters today. We are the most financially illiterate people in this country. We've been here 400 years. We know all that. Can you hear me clearly? Yes. Okay. Uh, we are at the bottom of every single economic statistic that matters in America. I see in my crystal ball that today, Dr. Howell, the definition of freedom is self-determination. We know that. But you cannot self-determine yourself in the modern world except through commerce and economics. Everything from the time that you get up to the time that you go to bed involves commerce and finance. But we don't understand either, at least most of us, which means that we are basically prisoners in this country. Mm -hmm. Let me say that a different way, more succinctly. Your income or your finances are directly related to your philosophy and not the economy, okay? To be black and beautiful uh, uh, in this world means nothing unless you're black and powerful. We cannot be black and proud and niggas too. White folks are planning for three generations and we're planning for Saturday night. Brothers and sisters, I want to say this and still be loved. The goal is to win, not to look like we're winning. 
I would rather carry a plastic bag with $5,000 in it than to carry a $5,000 Louis Vuitton bag with $100 in it, right? Mm -hmm. It is interesting to me in my observation as a 78-year-old black man married to the same sister for 50 years with two beautiful sons and three granddaughters, all are financially literate. It is interesting to me that the rich stay rich by pretending to be poor, and the poor stay poor while pretending to be rich. There's all kinds of statistics out here, if you read, that says that if nothing changes among African Americans, we are essentially headed into a second slavery. And this is the Institute of Policy Studies in a major study in April of 2016. And they said it a little bit differently. They said if nothing changes among African Americans, it will take them 228 years if ever, to close the wealth gap between black folk and white folk in America. But it will take Hispanics 89 years, Institute of Policy Studies. And by 2053, just 10 years after the country is projected to become majority non-white, Black median families will own zero wealth if current trends continue. Again, the Institute of Policy Studies, Google, September 2017. So, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, let me, kings and queens, let me make it, let me say it plain that I'm through. Ain't nobody saving black people, but black people. Right. It's been 400 years and we ain't saved. Who in the hell are we waiting for? <laughs> we are waiting for us. White folks ain't saving us. Who are white people saving? They're saving white people. Who are Asian saving? They're saving Asian people. So there is huge opportunity for us. Uh, it is not a fait complete. If we man up and woman up, have more programs like Vision Media, more programs like this, with this level of talent and expertise. I mean, you, you know, Colette, it's like you have a, a, a 357 Magnum tonight and all of the chambers are loaded, right? So with this level of expertise and this level of commitment and giving back to our people, helping us to learn, earn, and return. There is no excuse. We can get out of this trap that we are in. We just need to pay attention. We need a lot of us doing a little instead of a, a few of us doing it. And that's, and that, I mean, that's just sort of a 30. I know that's a long answer to your question, Dr. Howard, but that is sort of my vision statement, if you will, my crystal ball statement. That's what I see. I see both the negative and the positive. I see the devil and I see God. I hope all of us listening see the same thing. Absolutely. Didn't I, tell you, didn't I tell you he was going to bring it? Didn't I tell you that's all the fire and power that we need right now? Didn't I tell you? That was articulated extremely well and sounds like the prelude to the next book. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Will you write the forward, Dr. Howard? I, I'll be more than happy and honored and humbled, sir. No, awesome. I appreciate you. Love you. Thank you. 
I'm anxious to hear what these other geniuses, and I mean that seriously, have to say as well. Absolutely. I'm going to, is it okay if I go now, Dr. Howard? You sure can. Thank you very much. I'm going to present a question to uh, Ms. Venetia Paul Watson. And that is because I'd like to piggyback on Dr. Howard's question and Dr. Frazier's answer. Venetia, you are in the mix with money, real estate. That is a very powerful mix. That is a powerful mix. Can you please address why you think it is taking us so long? I understand you've only been here 40 years, but it is taking us a long, long time. And as Dr. Howard said, the predictions about the black community making up zero wealth in this country, right. it's practically right. here. I don't believe that it's going to take until 2053. I think it's going to be 2030. And we make up zero wealth in this country. We talk about it. Why are we continuing to talk and not produce? You are a producer. Why don't we have more folks in your footsteps, in the footsteps of Dr. Frazier, in the footsteps of Dr. Howard, in the footsteps of Dr. McFarland, in the footsteps of Danny Glover? Why do we not have folks in the footsteps? Um, just from my experience, there is a huge fear factor in our community. Um, a lot of us don't, we have the information. We have the sources and resources to get the information. But when it comes to execution, we have a procrastination over our spirit. We have the spirit of procrastination. We have the spirit of rejection. We have the spirit of uncertainty. We have the spirit of this is our last dollar. We're going to put it towards something. Is it going to do what you said it's going to do for me? Um, just recently this week, I got a phone call that escalated up to me from a woman who just wanted to simply refinance her home. But her first question was, if I do business with you, will you steal my house? And it's just, un it's a level of uneducation. Right. Um, no financial institution wants your house. <laughs> the last thing we want to do is foreclose on a property because we don't want to take responsibility from it. We're here to serve you. And so I just think that uh, at this point in 2023, we have so many avenues where we're able to capture information. So I don't think it's a lack of resources. It's just a lack of us being confident enough to take it to the next step. Um, we are the last on the totem pole, $1.7 trillion in spending power. So we know we are capable of earning money. We know we are capable of spending it in certain places. It's just not having the financial dignity to understand credit, to understand asset building, to understand life insurance, to understand things that turn into profit. Um, the shiny objects, we follow that. The lifestyle, we follow that. Those are the things, like Dr. Frazier said, attract us. We go out Friday and Saturday night. We're having a good time. But on Sunday, we're looking at our credit card like, oh, my God, I just spent this. What am I going to do for the next week? So we're still in that space from whatever time frame that that started. We haven't changed anything. We've elevated to make more money. We just don't know what to do with it. And I hope and pray that people like myself can help other people 
get an understanding that there are people who look just like you who can do this. And that's the point of being here because I know that people can relate to me. I grew up in the inner city. I was a single mother. I worked corporate America. My, the only difference is that I continued my education and I got a degree. That's the only difference between me and another person. And even that degree doesn't make anything. I took it a step further and did something that's going to reach back and help the community. So I hope that what I'm doing today will translate tomorrow. I feel like the Harriet Tubman of 2023. I'm leading people on the Underground Railroad, but now we're talking financial literacy. Now I'm leading them to the light of come to the other side of this. I was 19 years old when I bought my first house. I took an opportunity because I had the capital to make that purchase. So if I can show you what to do with your $12,000, $10,000, $5,000 tax return money or whatever it is that you come into that you can take to make a profit, I hope and, and pray that people will listen. And I think that's where we are right now. But I think it really starts with a fear factor in reference to why we can't cross that threshold. Um, I get a lot of applicants. I get about 300 loans in the pipeline. And 100% of African-American people want to talk to someone first. Other cultures, they just do the application. They are just, they don't have that discrepancy. They don't have that part where they hesitate. Um, and we do talk to them and we have to walk them through the process. It takes a lot of steps, but we're willing to take that journey for our culture and our people. Amen. Beautiful. Preach, preach. Beautifully stated. Beautiful. Thank you very very much dr there's howard the future right there there's the future right there dr howard yes uh, a, question. a question that i've been perplexed and has been bugging me for a week i tossed it to everybody on the panel on this one and that is how do we change the control of the narrative or how do we change the narrative to control the trajectory how do we change the narrative to control our trajectory? Trajectory, I'm Jack, sorry. Is that, is that a question to anybody or are you in particular? As to any of these beautiful people. Yeah, and I, I'd just love to take a quick crack at that. Um, and then Dr. McFarland. Right, and and, and then uh, you know Dr. McFarland. Yes. Um, I'm 78, uh, turned 78. May first, and happy so I've birthday. been. Happy I've been birthday! Yeah, yeah. Is that right? May first is your birthday. I'm not mine. Oh, it was my birthday, right? Yes, sir. But but but, but um, uh, and in, in my observations, forty years of working on this problem that uh, Miss Watson uh, so eloquently uh, uh, articulated, I think. The singular answer, if there was if there was one answer to the question, it is within the most powerful institution, the most trusted institution in Black America, and that is the Black Church. On Wednesday, we have Bible study night. On Thursday, there should be financial literacy night. It should be free to every member of the congregation. Now, why should the black church be talking about money? Because there are 2,500 references to money and economics in the Bible. 
four of Jesus's parables are about money and economics. Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. We must enculturate this conversation as an expectation, not as a goal for black people. And it can be facilitated because we listen to, the, we revere the black church and we listen to our pastors and we follow his or her instructions. So it could be a significant shot in the arm if the black church took on financial literacy as a main part of the meal, a main course, not a snack, not a dessert, but a main course of the meal that they serve us every Sunday. I think that would begin, uh, as as Miss Watson talked about, begin building trust in institutions, building trust in real estate, building trust in entrepreneurship, building trust in investment. We operate out of scarcity and fear. That's what we operate out of because that's that's what it's been for 400 damn years, right? Scarce and we have been fearful and, and we have been frightened to death. And it's not something that is talked about around our kitchen table. When I, I born 1946, when I, around, you never talked about money. It was 11 of us. They, my parents didn't talk about money around the kitchen table. Are you kidding me? And we dared not ask them to talk anything about money. And then as I began, as I grew up and began raising my children, I began the conversation of money. So, if I, yes. So, but I think part of the first real step, institutional step, is the black church coming on board. Now, there are many more now than ever before. There are 85,000 black churches in America, about 10,000 of them have financial education ministries. But that means the overwhelming majority still do not. That, that's, that's, that's how I see it. That's, that's one part of the answer. That's never one thing, it's many things, but that, I think that's huge. You gave us both the communion and the meal at the same time, Doctor. <laughs> Let's uh, have Dr. Anthony McFarland also address that. Wow. And what I'd like to say as Dr. McFarland is addressing that, Dr. McFarland also has an entity by the name of the Kingdom Business. Dr. McFarland, go ahead. Yeah, it's uh, Kingdom Wealth Builders, and uh, I have a new platform um a better dash you.com uh which is a platform where i provide both personal uh as well as business and financial coaching mm. and on that platform i thought it was quite interesting uh dr frazier as you um you shared so eloquently uh, if the church was to really take on that initiative or be an advocate for financial literacy. And I love your statistics that uh, out of maybe 85,000 uh, churches, 10,000 are teaching financial literacy. Here is what I have learned pastoring for 23 years, being in ministry for 27 years. 
that it comes down to mindset, beliefs, uh, and culture. Mm-hmm. And uh, many of us, our greatest challenge is uh, one, generational uh, uh, poverty that stems from uh, four or five generations ago. That's right. And as you said, uh, within your home, with 11 children, if I heard you correctly, uh, nobody ever talked about financial literacy, right? And um, I have come to learn as a licensed financial educator, the state of California, I'm licensed in six other states, uh, that when I meet with people to do a financial literacy session, how to build wealth, how to build family legacy, um, most people don't know how to manage their way out of a paper bag, <laughs> let alone how to build wealth. And so therefore, there is an ignorance when it comes to money. We don't understand the history of money. We don't understand as we message, We are, one of our messages is uh, for people to understand the new rules of money. Well, if you don't understand the old rules, which does not include people who look like us. Uh, you won't understand the new rules nor what to do with that wealth when it comes. I was in a uh, international conference maybe six years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, I was one of the uh, few people of color, uh, and I was there as a pastor. And there was a gentleman from Europe there. And he said something very interesting. He said, those of you here in America, uh, you teach uh, short and long-term goals, vision, financial goals. He said, I deal with kings and royal dynasties. And they're thinking, Dr. Frazier, hear this, uh, 50 to 100 years. They're planning 50 years, 100 years from now. So they didn't just show up where they're at. By accident, they showed up there on mm-hmm. purpose. And uh, and and so, again, uh, I just have to give a shameless plug. Uh, I just released a month and a half ago, uh, Colette, you didn't know this, uh, Cracking the Legacy Code, how to transfer or pass on generational wealth. And it really starts with us, each household, each individual saying, you know what, as opposed to me trying to reach the community, I'm going to reach my family. I'm going to call a family meeting. We don't need another picnic. We need a think tank bringing the family together to teach our children, to teach our family members uh, uh, the principles of finance, to understand money, how it works, uh, to understand investments, uh, to uh, for our, you know, oftentimes, especially your generation, uh, uh, and I, I don't, and I say that with all due respect, uh, <laughs> Brother Howard, uh, Colette, um, you learn how to build wealth, right? But one of the things, as I counsel people weekly all over the United States. Uh, those individuals, baby boomers, have not sat down and taught their children on how to manage wealth, uh, nor do they have the financial literacy, uh, Benicia, when it comes to uh, creating trust 
and how to protect your home so it does not go into probate when you pass on. And uh, if you have a trust, your children understanding to do with the wealth that you've amassed versus fighting over it or buying uh, new rims and a new car and some more bling, but how to yet turn that over and create true financial legacy to where we all have policies that cannot you can't just pull money out but they're placed under the trust they're stacked and then there's layers to distributing that wealth and the tribe must come together and agree on how monies will be spent and we need to start buying our children wing stops versus uh yeezys so mindset culture there it is versus tennis shoes Versus tennis shoes. shoes. I wanted to add just a little bit to that. Um, so what I did was I reached, I had an option. I said, I thought to myself, okay, who can I get to spread the message of, of financial literacy? And I decided to go to high school students because they're the next level of what's going to go out and be productive in this world. And college students are so focused on graduating and doing what college students do. They really don't have enough money to think about generational wealth. This is not the time to talk about building when you're just trying to survive. So while students are still at home, they don't have all the pressures of the world yet. What better way to capture their minds and instill in them, hey, when you get out into the world, consider buying a townhouse, buying a duplex, living in one side and renting it out. You don't have to spend a lot of money to start earning in real estate and, and getting a mindset to say what's going to build the biggest wealth generation um, tool, what is going to be the fastest generational wealth tool for me to get involved in. You have crypto, you have young college students, high school students that are multimillionaires just by doing NFTs, just by buying small amounts of crypto, Dogecoin, um, but things like real estate and putting it into their mind and planting that seed effortlessly, even though they may not understand everything, knowing that when you rent an apartment, you have to have renter's insurance, little stuff like that. So I implemented a scholarship in high schools and that scholarship opened the door for the high school to give me an opportunity to make a video so that they can play it a couple of times for the students. And I said, I'll do you one better, I'll show up because I want these students to know that I'm a real person, I want them to know that I'm just like them, I'm no different again, right? So I show up in person and I become the teacher for this real estate class, this financial literacy class for students. And I implemented this scholarship across the United States. So what it does is it sends kids to real estate school. I pick two students from every school across the United States that I choose. And I give them the golden ticket to say, look, you can use this or you can take the fundamentals and get take it back to your tribe, take it back to your mom, take it back to your grandma. What better person to explain something than your grandkid? What better person to translate something than your, your cousin? You know, you can, you can help change the trajectory of your family one step at a time, but I think also tapping into the youth and making sure that they understand going out into the world, a different dynamic because no one taught me real estate, no one. My mother was an immigrant. My father's side lived in a different state. I had no idea what to do when I got outside. I just. Thank God I had a spirit of wanting to have more. And that took me into this space. But like all of us on this call, we don't have that. And a lot of communities don't have that. A lot of families don't have that. There's not one person 
having this conversation, unfortunately. So I think another good group to tap into is definitely the students who are getting out into their transitional state, state whether they go to work um, straight out of school or if they go to college, take um, community college classes, but at least the seed is planted. And now you can start that traction of having change in our community than the same old will just continuing to spin. Right. Right. Thank you. Go ahead, Dr. Frazier. Yeah. Um, and I think everybody has sort of touched on this. And I said it that um, the state of our, our wealth is, is, is really based on our philosophy as opposed to what's going on uh, in the economy and its in its mindset. So we, we learned this. This is enculturated. We, hopefully we learn it at the seat of our, our parents and around the kitchen table. And, and what I taught my two sons um, uh, uh, was, and, and I had to really teach my wife uh, of 50 years uh, because she wanted, you know, we got married and what did, you know, what did my beautiful wife want? She wanted the American dream a home right so i convinced her and maybe this is why we stayed married for 50 years uh because a wise man doesn't need a taste test to know the difference um between uh you know um, uh, soul food uh you know and cabbage so um I, I got some soul food um and so what i convinced her of because i learned it from a neighbor, I had a very nice apartment, but he was into real estate, but into rental real estate. So I followed him around and ultimately I got married and I convinced my wife, let us rent for a while and let me go out because I've got some training, get some help and buy rental properties. He said, well, I don't want to live in any rental property. No, I said, no, 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 you, you live here. We're not going to live in the rental property. Uh, we'll just find some that is affordable. So uh, I, I live in Cleveland and um, there's an area in Cleveland called the Buckeye area. Now, remember, this was 55 years ago, right? And the Buckeye area was all Slavic, okay, Polish people. But black people were beginning to move into it, Dr. McFarland, okay? And those Polish people did not want that. And they all lived in two and three family homes that were in pristine condition. And the minute black folks started moving in, they were selling their homes for pennies on a dollar, right? I bought eight homes, two and three family homes on 124th Street off of Buckeye, right? People thought I was going to buy the block. I wasn't. I bought eight homes, right? And I was counting doors. Now, the first thing I did when I got possession of those homes, I turned them into Section 8 housing. Why, Dr. Fraser? Because A, Black people needed decent housing, and B, the government paid the highest rent per door, okay? And then I made a deal, right, with the folks that I had to scour Cleveland for because when you have Section 8 housing, you got to be real careful of the kind of people you put into that housing because it's generally welfare types, right? They're the ones that get Section 8. 
So I did a good job and filled up all of the apartments and I made a deal with them. I said, listen, take care of this home like it's your home. When it's time to sell this home and I'm going to sell it, right, at some point in time, I will, you will have first rights of refusal and I will find a way that you and a tenant of your choice could own it. So they agreed. They took very, very good care of the home. What did I do for the next 12 years? I accelerated depreciation on all those homes. So I got almost down to zero taxes. So between the rent that I collected from, uh, oh, about 14 doors, that's what we call it in the rental business, right? 14 apartments, right? And the tax uh, depreciation and the tax write-offs from owning rental property, then by time I sold those homes 12 years later, this was a strategy, right? And the money I was getting from those homes, Nora Jean and I bought our first home, right? But by time I flipped those homes after all everything I could get out of those homes, uh, I got and, and applied them to my tax obligations. Uh, that was how Nora Jean and I bought our first home earned our first one million dollars what was wow right what was the sacrifice dr fraser nora jean was smart enough to live in an apartment with me right now this is huge my sister she wanted the american dream but to live in an apartment with me was eight years until we accumulated almost a 50% down payment for our first starter home and had all of these rental properties that so so your partner if it wasn't for her I wouldn't if she could have put all kinds of pressure I don't want to live in an apartment I want a home we're going to have children right an apartment so there are strategies that if you have the right life partner Mm. you and this is huge now. This is huge, uh, right? So married to the same sister for 50 years, and I tell sisters every place I go, if you can't build with them, don't chill with them. If they're not wearing diapers, you can't change them, okay? Come on. <laughs> right? right? If they ain't wearing, you can't change them. You got to build. It ain't supposed to be free. And Come you got all the power. Come right? on. And the church said amen. Amen. <laughs> so, amen. So, 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 again, a, a smart man knows the difference, uh, you know, uh, between soul food and eye candy. Okay. And, and uh, I wanted soul food, not eye candy. Although she was a beautiful woman, but she, she had, she had the spirit and the soul and the vision and the risk. She was willing to take the risk, right? With yes. me. That's the kind of partner, life partner you're looking for uh, in, in life. And, 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 and they're out there. No question. Wow. Okay, I have a question. We're off script now. I do have a question. And my question is to Benicia. As I said, Benicia is my daughter. She's 40 years old, same age as Andriana. And my listening to Dr. Frazier, he's talking about a life partner who will make the sacrifice, who will make the decision to say, okay, I don't need the Louis Vuitton bag. I don't need all the gold chains. I don't need the Jimmy Choo red bottom shoes. 
I don't need all of these things that are so superficial and mean absolutely nothing because Jimmy Choo couldn't care less about you buying his bag. That's true. Okay. <laughs> Just as we all know, I'm a baby boomer, 70 years old, and I believe wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly in making sure that your mate is of the same mindset. Okay. Got to be of the same mindset because a sacrifice now is not a sacrifice later. Okay. Sacrifice today is not a sacrifice tomorrow. Benicia, what is it about tennis shoes and and buying these things that are of no consequence? I don't even wear sneakers. What is it? Our kids and their parents spend money on those things that are of no consequence. And they think it's okay. It's cool. Michael Jordan, Air Jordan shoes. I couldn't tell you what that shoe looks like if you paid me. I don't get it. And there's a movie out about Air Jordan. Michael Jordan gave $10 million to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. He wasn't thinking about you, 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 or me. He gave $10 million to Make-A-Wish. Does that mean I got to make a wish to get 50 cents from the Make-A-Wish Foundation? Do I need to make a wish? $10 million. He could have wished on black folks. Right, right. Black folks put him in the position that he's in today. So what is it about the current generation that refuses to listen? Got to have a phone. Got to have games. Got to have sneakers. Got to have the toys. And nothing else. Right. You know, I think that um, the 80s, 90s, 2000s, we had scripted TV, right? When we got out of school, those are the things we watched, what someone came up with. And in the generation that we're in right now, we have transitioned from scripted to reality, right? Come on. When you talk reality, some people's reality has to perform to the level of what they're trying to portray. So then you have this integrated false narrative that is being pitched. And so when you have people that are coming up and they see women with the flowy hair or they see women with the Gucci bag or the Birkin bag or whatever the case may be, they wanna achieve those things. And they don't know that on TV, some of those things are rented. Half of those things are rented. I've helped many um, I'm not going to disclose what television network, what program, but I've helped many of those women um, rent those homes that they're living in. They don't live in those houses. I've showed many people and got my real estate agents to open many doors so that they can look like they're going into this dream home when really they don't even own it. And so the perception is becoming reality. However, it's not, it may not be all true. So when kids see TikTok, or they see Instagram, or they see Facebook, or they see the next thing that they're turning on. Kids don't even watch TV, Nickelodeon. I don't even know how it's still on the network because kids watch YouTube. They All those programs are on YouTube. And so what you're seeing is just that instant gratification and it changes the mindset to say, oh, if you can do it, I can have it. So now I want that and I need that. So now parents are having to Go out and buy the Yeezys because the kids are get, getting picked on in school. If they don't have certain things, and this has been going on, 
But if they don't have certain things, now they're bullied. And bullying, now it's extreme, right? You used to bully and just smack somebody and it was like, okay, you get a couple of days and then I'm back in class. But now that you get bullied and they're killing themselves. So you have to be kind of, you know, strategic when you have your kids and they're feeling some kind of way. So maybe the parents are feeding them this stuff to medicate the fact that the parents aren't engaged either. They're on their their uh, tablets and parents are off doing whatever they're doing, scrolling through Instagram. Like there's no one talking anymore. So I think that that, that perception has now become reality, but I really think it stems from reality TV. Yeah. Yeah. If I can add one thing, I, I think we, we most people have heard this phrase, art imitates life. Right. And so that that literally means uh, there is an observation. That a creative work was inspired by true events based on a true story. Well, today we have a lot of artificial. Art artificial images that have been fostered by someone's imagination, scripted to make you believe something that is not true, that you then in turn desire, not realizing that they don't even have what it is that they're portraying. Right, like right. you said, my sister, they don't, they don't, let alone they don't, they don't own the house. They're not even renting the house. And in some cases, renting the house, trying to act as if they own the house and releasing cars that they can't afford to make it look like they have amassed some level of success or wealth to make you want to follow them. Yeah. 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 Again, culture, belief, Colette, this is about media, the media, and yes. Yes. Uh, and wealth. It was Marshall mm -hmm. McLuhan who said yeah. in the early seventies that the media, the medium is the message. The medium That's is right. the message. Okay, mm -hmm. and we are the biggest consumers in terms of hours of television and now hours of looking at the small screen. There's a study, I have a book in my library in my office here. I'm in an office building. Uh, this is not my home. Um, that that showed, it was a major study done, uh, it was about a decade ago, that the uh, was a study on the number of hours of television consumed by cultural group. Okay? And it turned out that African-Americans consume, on average, 72 hours of television a week. I said a week. That's almost, ten, well, that's 10 hours of television a day. Any Negro watching 10 hours of television a day needs their behind kick. Now, what, what is the real damage here? What's on television? Advertising advertising so not only are you consuming whatever programming you are tuned into but you are being bombarded with hundreds if not thousands of ads over a one week time you cannot tell me that does not impact your thinking and your consumption patterns of course it does they know that Yes, That's why they do that. 
And we are the number one demographics. I mean, I get sponsors from my conference. And when they find out that I have up like business owners and community leaders for the Power Networking Conference now in our 22nd year, August the 2nd through the 5th in Houston, Texas, they, they, uh, I can get anybody I want because they know my group, right? A is a money group. And they consume because we are a consumption class. They are the merchant class. They make stuff. We buy stuff, right? So they they absolutely want to sponsor that demographic group and young black demographic groups, as uh, your daughter has said. So uh, the, the media has a role in that. Make no mistake about that. We are psyched out of our socks when it comes to consumption patterns. And, and if I can add, our children at the age of 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, they consume, get this, three to four hours of social media every day. Wow. And, and that's more time than they're spending in class. That's right. That's right. That's right. And my granddaughter is one of those who's 11 years old. She's one who cannot be without her iPad. She can literally cannot be without her iPad. It's an addiction. I, it's an addiction, dear. She's addicted to her iPad. And I've taken that doggone iPad and I hid it from her. She almost lost all her little marbles. <laughs> Through a temper tantrum. Yeah, she had a paper tantrum because I hid the iPad. So I, I'm looking at this, going, "What are we doing? What are we? Do what are we not doing?" So the question becomes, how do we change this? We have got to change it, and I'm going to say it for Dr. Frazier: if we don't change this, we're done. We're we're baking right now. We're not boiling yet but we're certainly headed there. We're baking and we're just about done because the very thing that we predicted for ourselves, we can't make any of those predictions for the next generation. Yes. What I just read for the first time in the history of this mankind, we cannot, oh my God, we cannot make the predictions on the upcoming generations. Yeah. Let me let me tell you a quick story. This is very because this is a history lesson, everybody. Uh, and I'm old enough to remember this. And I'm, I'm sure Dr. Harlan uh, Howard may be old enough to remember this. 1964, Lyndon Baines Johnson is president. Um, and he makes an observation that the out of wedlock birth rate of black ch uh, young people is 25 percent now that was five times more than the auto wedlock birth rate of white people at that time which was about five percent so he commissioned senator daniel patrick moynihan to do a study on this what's up with this they did a study took about a year and a half and in 1965 they published what was called the moynihan report and basically, I mean, the title of the report was The Negro Family, The Case for National Action. Okay. And what they said was, and I'm going to give you the essence of what it all resulted in, that according to all of the sociological studies 
compiled for this report, if nothing changes among African Americans because they have five times the out of uh, the uh, the out of uh, uh, wedlock birth rate, but within forty years, the out of wedlock birth rate will be in the seventy percent, and that will destroy the foundation for family wealth because that will divide the family. That was what the study said. Poor black people got pissed off. They said, oh, that's racist, that's stereotype, and that's not true. And we did not listen to what those white folks were tracking. Because, you see, they have all the data points. They know more about black people than black people know about black people. Okay? And they published this report. Well, fast forward. Right? Fast forward. 72% of our children are born out of wedlock. 60% of our children are raised in a single family household. You don't think that that has had a destructive factor on the economic upward mobility of the black family? Why do you think it will only take Hispanics 89 years to close the wealth gap? But according to the Institute of Policy Studies, it will take us 223 years, if ever. And I didn't put that in there. Right. So we won't listen. They're giving us all. That was a warning shot. You're out of you're out of a wedlock birth rate is climbing. It's going to destroy the black family. Listen up, brothers and sisters. Right. Do something about this. We did nothing. It's the same report now says by 2053, if nothing changes, black people ain't going to have no money. I mean, that's what it says. Right. So we can either listen do something about it, be proactive in it, right? Focus on economic uh, literacy, economic education within our culture, because much of this is because, again, the lack of financial education, the lack of good financial mark uh, 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 modeling within the context of our community, and I'm now the second generation that almost the same thing, not quite, but almost the same thing that my parents did to their 11 children, we really did not teach our children the ins and outs of financial education and financial literacy. I say one thing, just one Go ahead. Go ahead. Which, Go ahead. which ties into our greatest, uh, our greatest challenge that we have to figure out how to change the storyline to, and that is um, our present day youth, millennials, have no black historical consciousness. Mm-hmm. True. And that will be a part of the storyline 200 years from now as yes. to why we did not evolve as a people. Uh, and I, I, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news. That's deep. That's right. But we're behind the curve. Yes. And the more... Please hear how I'm saying this. I may be stoned. (laughs) The more our children, this next generation mixes, Mm -hmm. they're embracing every other culture except for their own. That's right. They're, uh, They're embracing every other culture's agenda. I don't know if I am allowed to be extremely transparent and say that that culture that starts with the LGB ba 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 
and we're denying our own. Okay, well, you 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 just hit on something that was one of the questions that I was going to address, and I'm not I don't mean to take this away from you, Dr. Howard, but some powerful things. That's this is exactly why I curated this panel because I knew it would be powerful. And Dr. McFarland, you know that I sat in the pews at your church and I listened to you. And there was a time when Dr. McFarland spoke to every person in that church, every person in those seats in the pews. And there was one time I'm sorry, more than one time, but one time that sticks in my mind today. He left the pulpit and he walked down the aisle and he literally spoke to individuals. And this is during a time when he was talking about how we embrace other ethnicities and other cultures, our own. And he asked at that time, what are we doing to our own culture? What are we doing to our family and our extended family? And he began to talk to people in the pews, especially to men. You're sitting here with so-and-so. You're sitting here with her. You're sitting here with her. That's your wife. Not to insult anybody, but just to demonstrate, just purely to demonstrate how we have lost. And my family is completely and totally the United Nations. My family is completely the United Nations. Some everybody, everybody, okay? And I don't ask why, because I'm not supposed to. But everybody's united, part of the United Nations. And I look around and I'm going, well, well, gotta be a reason why. Gotta be a reason why got to be a reason why and you see the differences between how we live you see the stark differences and we don't make it our business to say wait just a second because we're not supposed to we're told that we have to let that be what it is because you can't you can't change when somebody's heart says, I'm going in that direction, you can't. How come you can't? Why not? How come you can't? We are losing. And this is supposed to be a conversation about solutions. This is a conversation about response. But we have to say, wait a minute. We've got all of these things that we're talking about. How do we change it? How do we change it? Because if it isn't changed, we see, I see every single day. I go downtown every single day and it ain't us that's downtown. Mm. I go to LA every single day and listen to what I'm telling you. It ain't us. And we make up nothing and nobody nowhere. Mm. And I mean that wholeheartedly. We, as a matter of fact, the, 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 the group that had some money got the money taken away because we're not doing anything with it. And if you don't do anything with the money, they take it from you because they say, hmm, you didn't need it to begin with. 
let me take this back. They're taking the money back. And the program that the money was was to for, that program is gone. Gone. Because of, because because of a consumer's mindset. Yeah. And not a creator owner and mindset. That's right. Other and cultures, they're teaching their children to be owners. Yes. We teach our uh, yes. consumers. Yes. We're teaching. Hey, you know, that's that's so deep, man. You touched on something so deep, and and, and it's it's connected to to what Benicia said about lack of trust, uh, and uh, and it really is if you want to put a straight no chase a, a term on it, it is the lack of self love. Um, it, I don't know. I, I don't. I, I mean, let's just be candid. I really think that we love white people more than we love ourselves I, I, but i think that has i think that has been beaten into us i, I think we have been really psyched out of us I mean, because most of us and you hit the nail on the head uh dr mcfarland um we don't really know who we are that we are yeah. the children of the slaves that would not die, that we have the genetic encoding of the great kings and queens of Africa, that we were building pyramids and solving complex engineering problems when other cultures were living in caves, practicing cannibalism, right? And in spite of the fact that, that America kept its foot on our throat for 350 years, we overcame that and we rose like the phoenix right so if everything happens for a reason and serves us in some special, special way, way. And we will never understand the reason looking forward we will only understand the reason looking backwards thus the famous sankofa bird right a bird flying forward while looking backwards if that is in fact the truth maybe so because i'm saying we have to think about this differently maybe we were not brought here Maybe we were sent here. Do you believe that God would put his weakest people here to do his toughest job? How could an America who could morally, spiritually, and biblically justify the kidnapping, raping, and pillaging of another two people, natives already in America, and Africans brought to America, have any moral or spiritual grounding? And perhaps had God not sent African people here, America might have self-destructed by now. See, we don't have that point of view. We don't yes. know what transpired, right? So th this, th so this has to be taught. It has to be enculturated. It has to be insisted upon. You cannot, you cannot grow up a Jew without learning everything there is to know about. Being a Jew from its motherland to the ancient history of Jews and the same with Asian people, right? So they love themselves. They do business with themselves. They trust each other. They partner. That comes out of self-love and a commitment to cultural partnership. You know, That's right. Cultural, cultural collaboration and partnership collaboration and, and understanding yes. the power and understanding. Yes. So this is. So I know we've been articulating the problem for most of the evening, but but it's a very deep problem, right? It's a mm -hmm. very deep 
problem that is, so people ask me all the time, Dr. Fraser, how long will it take uh, to close the wealth gap between black people and white people? I say, oh, about a hundred years, about five generations, that several generations are just going to have to die off. And ultimately we will work on the minds of young people. Hopefully those who are good and righteous brothers and sisters work on their minds, get help them understand who they really are, how powerful they are. Cause white folks surely understand how powerful we are. That's why they did what they did. I mean, they, they got it right they got it right and do white people fear us oh well to the yes they do for a whole myriad of reasons right they know what they did and they feel or think that if if we got power and we were as powerful as them that we would do to them what they did to us well they're wrong that's right that's right that's not who we are that's, right. that's who they are that is not who we are. We only understood this, but we can if it is taught. And there are selected mega churches around the country, and I've been to them, and you know who they are that teach this. There and he this is, right is there. just there as important right as teaching financial literacy, and that they go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. That's absolutely right. That is a fact, and that is what he teaches. That is what Reverend Dr. Anthony Farland teaches. That's exactly what he teaches. And it's unfortunate that it's not taught all over this country. It's unfortunate. Over time, over time, over time. All the time, all the time. Why are governors banning books? Why are governors modeling the behavior that he will expect from his colleagues and peers over time? Because if it's taught, okay, if it's taught, then we become powerful. That's right. But you can't. Then we become powerful. But call that, you you just can't talk it. You've got to model it. You've got to model it. You've got to model it. My mama taught me many years ago what you do speak so loudly, I can't hear what you say, right? So you've got to model it. Yes. And what right. Dr. McFarlane is doing is he's modeling the lessons that we must have right. in the most trusted, right, and the most loved and revered institution in Black America, if not in the world. That's right. And Dr. McFarlane, I want to give you as much time as you need to say what you need to say as you exit. Go ahead. I'm just honored to be a part of the platform. <laughs> And uh, in the presence of greatness and royalty, uh, thank you for having me. Uh, I'll say this, as Dr. Frazier has so eloquently painted the picture, it is our responsibility to change the trajectory of our history by doing something different to get different results which requires each and every one of us to just start with our homes, to start with our children, to start with our grandchildren. And I have been married for 33 years with my wife for 34 years, have two beautiful daughters, six grandchildren. And my objective now is to live out what legacy looks like to be the example of what a real man does 
for his family and is for his family to be an example to other black men that they should take pride in taking care of their families, providing for their women's, uh, for their women, excuse me, and being change agents in our community. So thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I will be talking to you. Thank you so much, Dr. McFarland. Thank you so much. God bless and, you. All right. Take care. And folks, thank you for joining us, McFarland. And we are going to continue this discussion. Thank you for joining us. We're right here on Vision Media Group with the Black Talk Radio Network. I hear and see that we have been we've being listened to all around the world. Sweden, Canada, Africa, across the country. So this is a powerful discussion and thank you for being with me. Dr. Howard, I'm going to throw this back to you and you can present the next question. Well, we're on a steamroller right now. You kind of you kind of left me on a high, natural high when I used to play Bloodstone back in the day. But my father passed away in 1968 as I was about to leave the draft board and head for Vietnam. And he left me one important message and I'll leave it with you. Um, he said, he who controls a frequency controls a generation. There's not a week that goes by that somebody doesn't walk up to me in San Diego and say, man, I was I've been listening to you since I was in diapers. And I've had six opportunities to work for six different African-American multimillionaires who all tried to buy radio stations unsuccessfully and control them. And the lesson is when I look at uh, Dr. Benicia and I elevated her to that status, if she's not ready out there to status, Dr. Frazier and Colette, Ms. Williams and the staff, I think to myself, our fight is not over. We got another trail to blaze. We got another journey to travel. And the people that we see in front of us tonight are some of the key trailblazers. We want to keep them in prayer, hold the network up in prayer. We want to stay positive, proactive, don't give up, and keep the fight because the dream is not the dream is not dead. And it is very alive and well. And thank you for this opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you very much. I'm going to present another question. And I know that this is going to uh, bring about quite a bit of discussion. The question is, has anyone actually benefited from affirmative action? It's 23. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's 2023. And affirmative action began how many decades ago? And we're still talking about it today affirmative action. I began with affirmative action with my very first business in 1974. Affirmative action today looks the very same way it looked in 1974, 78, 79, 80, 81. Why are we still depending on affirmative action? I don't know anyone that has benefited from affirmative action. Media, money, Futuristically, affirmative action isn't working for us. My question is for Benicia, who may not even know anything about affirmative action. <laughs> Dr. Frazier, then to you. Benicia? Um, 
I believe that I have definitely taken advantage of the affirmative action, whether it was a benefit to me from their end, giving it to me, absolutely not. But I was smart enough to take advantage of my situation and my scenario. Being placed in um, I spent over 20 years in law enforcement and I was the only person that looked like me. I elevated many, many times in my progressive state from being a basic level of officer to an executive to running offices and um, being put in position because of the color of my skin. I know that. And um, they never told me that, but I'm smart enough to know, right? And accumulating degrees over the years and being able to continue to educate myself probably helped me get in the door on paper. But I, I know that the reason why is because they needed a black female. I was on the cover of the brochure for this agency um, so that I can help them elevate and get more. Oh, we service black women. We have this and that, We're blah, blah, blah. But um, so, yeah, I absolutely did benefit from it. I took full advantage of it. I took the, um, the number one code on Players Club, the movie, was make the money, don't let the money make you. And so I always made the position, flip it, even if I had to work on a holiday Christmas weekend, even if I worked on the midnight shift, the midnight shift didn't own me, I owned it. And I took all that information that I was able to gather and that turned me into what I am today, which is I took all that stuff, all those positions and all that stuff that they allowed me to step into and um, turned it into the next level into my entrepreneurship. And um, so I 100% believe that I was able to absolutely benefit from being placed in these spaces due to affirmative action. So um, I think that if more people go into society understanding that you're in control of the scenario at the, at the end of the day, and when you realize that you're in control, then the tables turn. You're still respectful. You're still, you know, whatever you're supposed to be in that position, the best black you could be. But at the end of the day, you have to make turn it into something. Don't just work for 30 years and get a $600 check. That's not beneficial. Make sure that you're educating yourself while you're elevating yourself. I know a girl who was working for different corporations, Google. She went to Uber. She worked at Amazon, an executive level, and then she started her own business. So she took the information and turned it into a status where she was given this position due to the color of her skin primarily. So we have to learn how to flip it. And, um, you know, you got to be the Robin Hood. Sometimes you got to get in there. You got to do the dirty work so you can take it back to the community and the culture. And that's what I did. And so I think that it 100 percent was a benefit for what I used it for. Thank God I was smart enough to flip it and not just go through the motions because I know a lot of people that are still in positions today that have not realized their power yet. So when we realize our power, then we're able to go absolutely. to the heights that we never thought that uh, we never thought existed. Right. Absolutely. And I think that that is part of our issue, part of our problems, because we don't realize our power. We don't realize who we are, and whose we are. We don't take advantage we get mad and then we walk away. We don't understand what it means to control yourself and control the power. 
Dr. Frazier, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I just, I just love your daughter. Uh, I, I, I don't know who, who, who raised Benicia. Uh, they should, they, de <laughs> but they deserve a, a, an award uh, because she has the right mindset. Absolutely. And and, and um, uh, statistically speaking, we know that the greatest beneficiaries of the old school affirmative action have been white women. Okay, that's all the statistics point to that. Have been white women. Now, Benicia, and there are others like Benicia, both males and females, um, took full advantage of affirmative action. Now, certainly there was affirmative action when it came to college admission. Okay, absolutely. Many of us benefited from that. But there were no affirmative action degrees, right? Once your ass got in there, you had to earn your degree. You didn't get a degree based on affirmative action. You might have got in, but you had to do the work. There were no affirmative action grades, okay? So God bless Benicia for what she did. But 15 years ago, I wrote a, a, a talk. And the title of the talk was Forget Affirmative Action. <clears throat> we must affirm our own action. Okay? We must affirm our own action. Whatever affirmative action will be is whatever we affirm and whatever we do. So, because uh, I got to run, uh, it is 921. I'm on the East Coast. And I want to stay married. I try to get home before 10 o'clock at night. All right. So right now, unless I shut up, uh, I'm, I'm going to be really late for dinner. Uh, but but I, did, I did tell my wife that I had a wonderful interview opportunity with you. Uh, and so she does, she, she does understand. So I'm just going to close with this thought. In the spirit of affirming our action. Over the next generation, here are some expectations. I didn't say goals. See, we, see, I, I, I want to change the language of the black family. We, we used to talk about the goal was going to college. Forget that. The expectation is that you're going to college. There's a difference between a goal and an expectation. So here are what I think are the expectation as we affirm our own action over the next generation or two. Now, these things will not happen immediately, but they can be expectations that we can plan. So here's what I believe every black family of any level of responsibility must have going forward. Every black family should own land. What's the first thing God gave Adam? Real estate. What's the first thing God gave Isaac? Real estate. Real estate. Every black family should own land. Number two, every black family should have some gold. Right? Gold. Right? I'm not saying having 10 billions of gold, but in your portfolio, some gold. Okay, Every black family should be invested 
And Bernicia talked about it, and I agree with 100% in cryptocurrency. It ain't going away. Will it have ups and downs? Oh, hell to the yes. Did the stock market have ups and downs over the last 100 years? Oh, hell yes. It caused the Great Depression in America. Has real estate had ups and downs over the years? Oh, hell yes. It all goes ups and up and down. That's the nature of all asset investment. All right. Every black family should have some crypto. Every black family should have life insurance. I read an article in the New York Times the other day, and it said that more black people have life insurance or insurance on their cell phone than on their lives by a factor of 10. So we value our cell phones more than we value our lives or the lives of our children. That's insane. Every black family should should be properly insured. Every black family should have an LLC. I don't care what you do. If you bake cookies, put them in a box, put your name on it, sell it to somebody. If you live on a farm, take the manure, put it in a bag, put your name on it and sell it to somebody. You could become an entree manure, right? But And then have an LLC. Do you know what the tax benefits are of an LLC? My little real estate empire was what? An LLC, right? Now, every black family should have an investment account. I didn't say savings account. Yeah, if you need some, you need six months of a really ready cash in case of emergency, you might want to put that in a savings account at a half a percent a year because uh, you're losing money on it because inflation is five to six percent a year. So anything you got in a savings account other than emergency funds, you're actually losing buying power on it. So you have an investment account. And that is money you put aside to make proper investments where you get good advice from a brother or a sister that understands whatever market you are trying to invest in. Every black family should have stocks, a stock portfolio. Every black family should have a trust where you own nothing, but you control everything. A trust. Okay, every black family should have an established will. They're still fighting over James Brown's money, Prince's money, and Aretha Franklin's money. They left no will. You know who's going to get their money? The courts and lawyers are going to get their money. All right. And every black family should produce an essential product. Okay, an essential product. That is. In within the next generation or two, that is what our financial portfolio and, and levels of financial literacy must look like. Now, brothers and sisters, this is a shameless plug, and then I'm out of here. The Power Networking Conference, here's the flyer, 22nd year, Houston, Texas, uh, August the 2nd through the 5th, come. This is where you will learn all of the stuff about what every black family must have. And you'll learn it from brothers and sisters that look like you who are subject matter experts in this subject and these subjects. And you will learn the, uh, uh, the understanding of the power of the human connection. Because without people, you are a product of your surroundings. Without people to serve and them to serve you, you have no wealth. Your wealth 
is directly related to the people that you serve. So understanding and loving and connecting and working through strategic alliances, joint ventures, partnerships, so that you can do acquisitions is critical for long-term economic development. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. And I, I may offend I may have offended someone. No. And I'm sorry, but that's what we have to begin thinking about and working on. That's the long term plan. Yeah, yeah. And that and that plan is what we are going with. We don't have a plan. So Dr. Frazier, your plan is the plan that we're going with. We absolutely must. This is not a time when we have to talk about who's got what, who did what. This is not a time. We run out of time. That's right. So That's right. Have, we have. If you're interested in the Power Networking Conference, just go to www.powernetworkingconference.com, www.brothersandsistersPowerNetworkingConference.com. Be there. Forbes magazine named it one of the top 50 conferences in America, not one of the top 50, one of the top five conferences uh, in America not to be missed. Not one of the top five black conferences, but one of the top five of all conferences put on in this country. So be there. Be in the house. Be in the house. Well, Dr. Frazier, change your life. Dr. Frazier, I will be there. And as you and I talked about before, I will be there to record and to interview and talk to some of your panelists and your speakers. So I will be there. I will bring me my microphone and my headset and my computer, and I will put this on the air. Scotty, you got me? We're going to put this on the air, if that's okay with you, Dr. Frazier. We made arrangements for me to get there before last year, the year before, and I didn't get there. Some of that was COVID, but this time there's nothing standing in the way, so I will be there. Benicia, are you going to be there? I'm there. Let me know. I'm there. I'll pull okay. up. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And at some point in time, you will be teaching at the Power Networking Conference, but first, you must comment. Sorry. Okay. okay. That's right. So I've, I've got to say goodnight, Benicia. I love you. Keep doing what you're doing. All right. You, you got, you got, you from, from, from good stock. Uh, Dr. Howard, you're 50 years in. Oh man. When I grow up, I want to be like that. And you're <laughs> still a master at what you're doing. And of course, uh, Miss Williams, uh, it's an honor to serve you. And it always has been. And as long as you need me, when you call, I will answer. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And you always have. And I am so thankful. And it is my honor, my privilege to have you with us. One final expectation. Brothers and sisters, all of you who are blessed enough to be listening to this tonight. Yes. Die with memories, not dreams. Ooh. Absolutely. You'll have to think about that a little bit. Turn your dream into memories. That's what God wants. That's right. Yeah. All right. That's Thank absolutely. you. Bless Thank you. you very much. Thank you very much. And you are listening to Dr. George Frazier, Benicia Paul Watson, right here on Vision Media Group, Black Talk Radio Network. We've got a little bit more time and we're going to keep this going. Benicia, we're going to talk to you for the last few minutes of this program about 
uh, the place in media and where you see us. You and I have talked about what you're doing in media. What can we do to take control of media? What can we do to ensure that we get a place there? My feeling as with Dr. Howard, who has been in media for more than 50 years, how can we get in there? What would you think? Um, the way that we get in is we create our own. We have the platforms such as this. We have to create our own, our own spaces for us to get the tools and the information that we need. Um, a lot of the networks, a lot of the things that exist, you have to pitch them these stories. They may not, may not buy into it. It's very difficult. It's almost like joining the secret society. You get in, you may not get in, right? And we spend a lot of energy trying to conform to other people's standards when it's just simple. YouTube is absolutely free. Create a page and put the information out. There are so many avenues and ways to get the information out that don't cost you a dollar. It costs you zero dollars to post on Instagram and create a free page. Okay, so if we get shut down, we create another page. But we have to continue to create our own spaces to get the message out. Another way is whatever the media is portraying, like for myself, right now, my goal is to get a financial literacy show on a network. I have several that are that love the idea. And so, you know, it takes people like us. Everybody can't do it. Everybody's not going to be able to do it. So when people say, well, how can we? Somebody's got to take the lead. And if we have someone who has uh, the, the subject matter expert and the level of, of they can get into the room, sometimes you gotta, they got to be used for that purpose. And so creating more avenues of just spaces where we learn, where we're getting educated, where we people are taking the time to ensure that the person who's receiving the information is getting the, the truth. The good, bad, and the indifferent. How to really start a business. How to create that LLC. How to make sure you pay your franchise taxes for these companies that we start. A lot of people are making money through their through their business, but they're not filtering that money through the business accounts. Information is power, and so we just have to change the space and the narrative where we're where we're putting our time and our efforts and creating more uh, spaces where we are educating and not just you know, fooling around all the time. So, so I think that that's an important space and piece that we need to add into our ticket. Uh, networks like, uh, can I talk about Rio? You have Revolt, you have um, other black networks that exist. Watch those black networks, empower them. Because yes. if you don't watch them, they go off the air. Yes, yes. So we have to tune in to our spaces, not just the ones that we always watch. So watch some of the other ones that, that exist. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that, that plays a factor too. Right, right. Dr. Howard, the next question for Venetia. She's our next celebrity, our only celebrity that's still on. My next question? Yes. I was gonna chime in on a book that uh, Venetia shared earlier. Uh, she mentioned earlier about uh, talking to high school people and seniors. Mm -hmm. I'm a firm believer of the STEM sciences, science, technology, engineering, and math. In 2012, I started three networks, KBLKradio.com, called KBlack in San Diego. We started KKSDJazz.com, and then we followed up with contracts 
with school systems to teach uh, STEM sciences, media arts, and then we integrated with television and video such as Snapchat, Periscope, YouTube, websites to integrate those with these with these school systems to say that they could these these students could take back their voices and they could capture audiences. Uh, secondly, I'm a firm believer of collaborations and tapping the corporate world. I don't think we've done a very good job of tapping. Everybody's talking about the 5G networks. You hear Verizon and T-Mobile and them advertising all the time, but we've not done a very good job of tapping the corporate network for corporate sponsorships and showing how corporate sponsorships can benefit corporations. Everybody's buying cell phones and tennis shoes, so we know they sell, all right? So that's that's number two. And then the, the third issue for me has been uh, back to uh, Manisha. Um, I pitched a book and a movie into NBC Uni uh, six months ago uh, off of the, a manual I wrote called Radioactive, which is a story of a, a radio personality that gets arrested and put in jail for breaking women's hearts over the radio. And uh, they're looking at it. They said they were interested. What I hope to do is do the same thing that another rapper that I talked to, um, Ice Cube and 50 Cent, who signed a $170 million deal with the Stars Network for the Power Series, because I've been thinking about the, the series all along. So I think Venetia uh, has woken up a, a sleeping giant. At least she's woke me up tonight and she's gave me some more ideas. You know, I want to connect with her, with her, her uh, network, as well as her network of mentoring with real estate and wealth. I think this is also very, very valuable. And the dialogue needs to continue and not stop. Absolutely. And it won't stop. The dialogue has to continue. Black Talk Radio has been around not quite 20 years, but for decades, going on two decades. And it's long overdue for all of us who are in this space, one, to be recognized. Two, we should be in a position where we don't have to ask somebody for something. We are continuously always asking for someone to recognize us. So we have to put ourselves in a position where we're collaborating and we're connecting and we're partnering and working together to make this happen for ourselves. I don't believe that they are going to make it happen for us. I don't believe that for one second. I believe the things that we do, the things that we have to do, we have to do them for ourselves and we have to make it happen for us. I'm building this network, Vision Media Group, and it is very, very, very important that Vision Media Group put out information that pertains specifically to the Black community or what used to be the Black community, because all we have now are hoods. But we've got to change our narrative. Otherwise, our trajectory is poof be gone. And the most powerful industry in this country is media. That's why Bill Cosby, I'm so convinced 
that that is why Bill Cosby went to prison. Not because of what he did to those women. I wasn't there, but I know he tried to buy NBC. And I know the next question is, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? You're not supposed to do that. He who controls the narrative controls the community. And we're not supposed to be in control. So how do we take this and go with this? And that question is to Dr. Howard and to Benicia. So uh, me and one of my good girlfriends, her name is Jewel Tankard. And Jewel has a presence in the business space. We created a podcast. And I know that a lot of people have podcasts, but our podcast is called The Wealth Chat where we specifically talk about business banking and real estate. And I hope that a hundred more wealth chats get created. And we have an avenue where black people can come on and showcase and highlight information and the information that we need to be successful, how to set up a trust. Same thing that Dr. Frazier said, all that information in one place where you can get it from trusted people, that will help. So. With the wealth chat, we're only on our second episode, but I hope we get to 2 million episodes. And I hope that that continues to change the trajectory. But what, what we're trying to do is really just create a place where the information is given and they can take it and actually use it and execute. Because with the businesses that the people who come on the podcast have, integrating and introducing people who you didn't know before. And I know a lot of podcasts do that, but sometimes they don't talk about anything that has any meaning. Give me something that's tangible that I can actually take and then put it here. Let me take this and put it into the bank. And now I can own a home or let me take this and put it into an account. And now I can grow dividends. Let me take this information. And now I can buy gold because I know who to call, not just, just overload of information and analysis paralysis, but now we're providing an avenue. We had a guy who owned car dealerships. Now I can take my money and do business with a black owned car dealership in Georgia. So it's like, you know, stuff like we're giving the space to be able to take your money and put it into the black. So it's a, it's an avenue for black wall street. And that's really what it's going to, what it's, what it's designed to do is help keep the black dollar circulating, which is another thing that we didn't get a chance to really talk about because we're talking about building wealth, but how about keeping it in the black community to where it circulates more than six hours? So things like that, that we that are solutions to some of the issues that we have in our culture to where instantly we can make a difference and change the trajectory of somebody to reach one person, that one person can go talk to their 20 people. So it's just getting that out so that they can retain it, capture it, and share it. Absolutely. Dr. Howard? Well, I'm going to say tonight and affirm it, Ms. Watson, you've become my best found friend. <laughs> and I do a lot of podcasts around the country, mostly tied in with nonprofits doing philanthropic work. But I will be one that will step up to the plate because I believe 
for me to make the change, I have to become the change I want to see. And that means I got to promote you and I got to push what you're talking about and what your girlfriends are talking about and what their wealth gap is all about. And we got to get that banners out and we got to get that, that million people we're talking about plus. So I'm stepping to the plate by saying I'm going to be one of the first people to help promote that podcast and get those banner ads out and get those million plus people so that we can continue to explode uh, and, and experience what we've been talking about tonight. Put practice into purpose. Absolutely. And I'm going to step up to the plate and, and let Benicia know that this is a platform that I really and truly want her on. I want you on this platform, Vision Media Group. Uh, we had a show called Black Excellence in Media, Black Women Speak. And I, we did that on March 28th. And one of the things that came out of that uh, show was a two-hour show. And we had nine people on that panel, all from the media space. Collaboration is so important. Collaboration is key. And I don't mean just any old body. I mean good, sound, sufficient people who can make things happen, who have a message, who can bring it all together, who can bring it all together. That's what's so important. We have to bring it all together and we have to do this. As I said, Black Talk Media has been around for almost 20 years, for almost 20 years. Black Talk Radio Network is second to Radio One. When we first started more than eight years ago, second to Radio One, Kathy Hughes. One of the things that is a pet peeve of mine, I say it constantly, how is it people such as Kathy Hughes at Radio One, Tyler Perry, Tyler Perry Studios, Byron Allen, Allen Media Group, how is it they don't know about us? How, how, how is it they don't know about us? I'm talking to the people at Revolt TV and I invited Detavio Samuels to come on. And of course, they say things like, oh, we get a whole lot of emails and we get this, we get, I'm not interested in what you get. I'm interested in the dialogue that we can produce that's going to change the lives of the people in this community. I'm not talking about who you are and, and how noted you are, how prominent you are. I'm talking about putting it all together and making, creating a powerful network. If we don't get anything, if we don't get anything, and there are a whole lot of things that we don't get, if we don't change the fact that we are 100% afraid of each other, we don't trust each other, we don't want to do business with each other. If we don't change that tonight, it's a wash. It is a wash. And it is a known fact. They tell us in writing and over their airways that Black folks don't like each other. That's why they don't have anything to show. Because they don't like each other. They don't trust each other. And I can tell you that is the discussion because I'm going to say it again. I work downtown LA and I see who gathers 
and I see who's on top and I see what is said and I also see what's done and it ain't us. It is not us. Our collaboration, our discussion, our words have to produce something. We have to be the ones that produce because we do a whole lot of talking. We do a whole lot of shucking and jiving. When are we going to stop? When are we going to produce? When are we going to produce? So we know how powerful media is. We know it changes everything. When I was a kid back in the 70s, back when the Black Panthers were powerful. The reason the Black Panthers were so powerful and the CIA and the FBI and the federal government were after them was because they understood and knew that they had power. And if the Panthers were able to take their message out to the people nationwide, white folks, that's who white folks were scared of. They're not afraid of anybody today. And they're truly and surely not afraid of Black Lives Matter. That's why it's so easy to say all lives matter. All lives matter. They're not afraid of them because the mission of Black Lives Matter is to ensure the destruction of the family. It's in their manifesto. That's what they preach, the destruction of the nuclear family. That's what they've always talked about from the beginning. Look it up. It's on the internet. All they focus on is others, the alternative lifestyle. And isn't it interesting that the alternative lifestyle gets everything and we get nothing? Dr. Frazier, do you have a thought on that? Benicia, do you have a thought on that? I think Dr. Frazier left. I'm sorry, Benicia and Dr. Howard. I think that again, if we don't create our own our own networks within ourselves, we have to go back to the Underground Railroad method. We have to go back to that. That was the easiest way for them to get to the to the free land, right? And um, we can't. We, we're we're never going to achieve. Um, as you can see, other groups continue to pass us. The black is never going to win. We have to create our own sound, our own call, our own hootie hoo, and gather and just do it ourselves. Is that going to take longer? Absolutely. But I think that it's worth the try. Look at what Harriet Tubman did. They they made it and they had no way of communicating. These are people that were all over. And it's like, you're free now. Some people didn't even know they were free, right? Because they didn't get the message. But a lot of people got the message. And if they were able to communicate without a cell phone or a TV, couldn't read, couldn't write, and they could get to the Underground Railroad, we can find a way to get that same message out. So I think sometimes we make it harder than what it really is. We just got to keep pushing because there's no saviors out here. There's no saviors. Every, every, every group that exists continues to elevate past us. 
And the reason why we can't get up is because we get in our own way. So for those who want to come and those who want to listen, if you want to be free, let's go. If you want to pretend like you don't want to be free or you want to stay on the masses plantation and live like that because you don't believe that you're free, then you stay right there. It's the same thing that happened back in the day. It's the same thing. We're in the same cycle. History repeats itself. And I think that really is the only way for us to get ahead is continuing to have these platforms, continuing to have these conversations, continue to have these talks. And I know a lot of people say, well, you're preaching to the choir. We know this already. What's the solution? The solution is gathering. The solution is getting is being here first. It starts with us being here. And then the next step is us taking it to the next level. And if you want to go, let's go. That's absolutely right. Dr. Howard, your thoughts. Well, I've been researching crowdfunding techniques for about the last six months and a year. And I've watched several journalism crowdfunding sites raise thousands and a couple of million dollars in building studios for journalism and reporting news sites. Uh, I probably want to seek out uh, Ms. Watson again for more collaborations as think tanks and watch following those podcasting to get an understanding of this wealth gap and what she does and what her girlfriends and her organization does and forming more collaborations, more powerful collaborations with what's going on with Vision Media so that I can stay more actively and profoundly engaged. Uh, uh, some don't know, uh, but because of a, a brain tumor, uh, which was diagnosed in 2022, it has caused some slight limitations, but it hasn't stopped my drive, my zeal, my zest, my prayer, my march, and my trailblaze, and the people that I collaborate. So it, for me, it's it's on and popping, or on and cracking, as you used to say back in the hip-hop world. Um, you know, I've got places to go, people to talk to, things to see, more things to do, more things to learn, and my brain hasn't stopped taking taking interest in the people that I talk to on a daily basis. That's why this media is so important. That's why this, what we do and the information that we're bringing about tonight and other nights is extremely profound. And I think in some way, whether you know it or not, you're waking up, you're starting a movement, whether you know it or not. And the movement is, the movement is concerned and is interested and it wants to get involved. It wants to get involved. And I'm one of those persons who wants to follow that group. So count me in. Well, you're always in, Dr. Howard. You're always in. And we are nearing the close of this broadcast. And it has been an awesome honor. And it has been a privilege to have all of you on. And I don't know what happened with Danny Glover. I know I'll hear from him, he or and his publicist. But I will let you all know, and he will be so sorry that he missed it. But this has been a powerful conversation and dialogue, nevertheless. And we had the right people on. We definitely, without question, had the right people on. So we didn't miss any beats. We didn't miss anything. And I thank you, Benicia. And you know, I applaud you for all that you do. I applaud you for all that you've done. And I applaud you for all that you're continuing to do. You are an awesome, awesome lady, daughter. I claim you as my own. And, <laughs> and this has really been 
outstanding. It's been two hours, very, very well spent. And the information and the dialogue that has come out of this, it, it's we can't put a price on it. We cannot put a price on it. So I want to let you know that next week we will have the beginning of uh, Black Music Month. And that's next Wednesday. We will have uh, Anthony White, who leads the Los Angeles Orchestra, uh, not the Los Angeles Orchestra, orchestra, but the All City Marching Band. They are heard around the country and I think around the world, but they will begin Black Music Month. And every Wednesday of this month, we're going to have those in black music with us we're going to celebrate black music and the stuff that's out now that's not called music it's called vile and vulgar to a beat we will not be focused on anything like that so i do want to say thank you all for being here thank you thank you thank you for making this show so incredibly special thank you so very much and benicia i will be talking to you about joining vision media group Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's always a pleasure being on the show and anything I can do to support the network in any way. I would love to come back and, and have another conversation. This was fantastic. And we'll definitely Great. I love it. As a matter of fact, I'll be in Dallas on the 13th. I get there on the 13th and I'll be there until the 24th. Oh, yes, definitely. That's a good enough time. We have to sit down and get some bread. Okay. Sounds real good. Sounds real good. Well, thank you folks for joining us here on Vision Media Group and Black Talk Radio Network. It's been an awesome, awesome evening. Thank you for joining us and join us next week. We will also be featuring our launch. So you want to be here. You want to join into the conversation. It's been wonderful. It's been wonderful. Thank you for joining us. Have a good evening, everyone. And don't forget Vision Media Group, Black Talk Radio Network, right here, each and every Wednesday. Look for our new shows that are coming out. Look for all of the great hosts that are coming out. We've got a lot going on right here. We want you to be with us. Have a good evening. Be safe. Anybody need a walk to your car? Need anything? Any masks? Anybody need a mask? Take care, everybody. Have a good night. Good night. Take care.